DAB Plus online via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. UFL All Access on TalkSport 2. Welcome to EFL All Access here on TalkSport 2 as Huddersfield Town have sacked their manager Darren Moore after just four months in charge. This is what he had to say after their draw with QPR over the weekend. It's getting over that final line and taking all what it comes. But certainly the boys leave here feeling that it was another good performance. You know, if anybody witnessed the game today, it was another solid performance and a performance in the, in the right direction. There were incredibly concerning scenes this weekend as football was marred with crowd trouble, not only at the Hawthorns in the FA Cup clash between West Brom and Wolves, but also in League One as Port Vale's uh, one of their supporters chased the referee off the pitch. CEO of Ref Support UK, Martin Cassidy, was left shocked but not surprised. You know, these people he's training to get into refereeing are going to be seeing that. And I just think it's not a really good message and it's not surprising, but it's just as shocking as ever really, Jim. And Michael Beale Sunderland secured an all-important win at the weekend to keep them in the playoff hunt and ease the pressure on their new boss. The fans are the cornerstone of any football club and at this club the passion is so high and, and so all we want to do and all I want to do is provide a team from they can be proud of. We'll also look ahead to this weekend's action in the Championship with some really intriguing fixtures which we'll dive into and there's plenty of stories to discuss with the former Ipswich and Swindon Town striker Sam Parkin. This is EFL All Access here on TalkSport 2. Well, I'm John Jackson in for Hugh Woosencroft this week and Sam Parkin is alongside me. Do you manage to catch a game or two this weekend, Sam? I did, John. Yeah, I was treated to Millwall 1, Preston North End 1 on Saturday. And then if life couldn't get any better, I went for the QPR Huddersfield 1-1 draw on Sunday as well. And I took my three-year-old along for the privilege and uh, we missed both goals. So nice introduction to (laughs) championship football for him. On the way back to the car, he heard the cheers at least. Hey, that's fantastic. One of my old teachers went to the 1999 Champions League final and told us all as as kids that he was off to watch Manchester United play Bayern Munich. I think he left after, you know, 80-odd minutes or whatever, was walking out of the new Camp, heard the goal, first goal, couldn't get back in, and then obviously missed the right. second one as well. So don't worry, you can't, you can't beat that one. Um, yeah, some big news then. Darren Moore sacked yeah. at Huddersfield. Three wins in 23 matches in all competitions. Of course, you know, he led Sheffield Wednesday to promotion to the Championship last season and then came in replacing Neil Warnock as Terrier's boss in September. But, I mean, form has been a real struggle for them. Uh, winless in their past six in all competitions. And, I mean, when you look at those stats there, three wins in 23 matches. I think if you're a manager in pretty much any league, you're going to be under a considerable amount of pressure. Yeah, absolutely. I don't totally agree that it was a a good performance yesterday. I thought QPR were absolutely woeful. So I didn't think they had much to to go up against. I thought actually they looked probably more organised, had a bit more of a game plan yesterday. And a few of the uh, January signings actually made something of a difference. So I think on the face of that, a little bit harsh this morning that he's been dismissed off the back of a point away from home. It's, you know, really challenging division. We know they're in a tricky spot, but of course it's the bigger picture and what's gone on over the last few months. So he can't really complain, as you say, just those three wins in, in 23 matches. I think the biggest thing that's gone against him is probably the the comments of the owner, the frequent communication from the owner on social media to the supporters about initially 
going to be getting this attacking brand of football with Darren Moore. The supporters haven't seen it. And latterly, he's been saying, now he's got the players. I've given him a few more players. Basically, they've got to be more front-footed. It's got to be more entertaining. Otherwise, I'm going to have to make a change. So I don't think that was particularly productive. But given that there's been clear transparency from the owner in what he's been looking for from Darren Moore and it's not been delivered, I'm not surprised sitting here today that he's been dismissed and they're looking for their third manager of the season. Yeah, looking at the table, they're 21st there, three points above the relegation zone with you know QPR, the team that they drew against mm. and which ended up being the, the sort of final, na- final uh, nail in the coffin for Darren mm. Moore, uh, just below them. The owner Kevin Nagel actually said earlier this month that, he, that Moore was going nowhere, uh, despite, you know, despite things not being in a good state. And uh, you know he said, we appointed Darren on the strength of his credentials as a manager. It's now clear this has not worked out as we envisaged and hoped. And I believe that our current squad is capable of more, particularly on the back of the work we've carried out in this transfer window. We're quickly moving to identify the right person to lead them through a crucial period of the season and that they hope to make that managerial appointment very, very soon. So he's changed his tune uh, pretty considerably. Mm. When you're looking at the kind of manager that, that could go back in there and, and you know turn things around because they are you know down the bottom there, they are in a relegation fight. Does any names spring to mind straight away that you think would be a good choice for them? I think it's really difficult because, you know, on the face of it, it's very difficult to make a case for the teams in the bottom half being poor enough to get dragged into this relegation battle, if we want to call it that, at this point with the four teams, Rotherham, Sheffield Wednesday, QPR and Huddersfield. The teams all above them, I think I could make a relatively strong case for them, them all being okay. So the reality is this is going to be a season where they're going to be fighting for their life, Huddersfield. So... The prospect of maybe going for a bit of a left field appointment would seem very, very peculiar. I mean, the type of manager would be a Neil Warnock type, which is just bizarre because he was at the club early part of the season. They've parted ways and felt this was going to be a new era, a new dawn and more attacking and a different philosophy to what's gone before. But the reality is they need someone to come in and and save their season now. So I'd be really surprised if they went down the 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 route of a um of a young unproven coach or some of the names that are being banded around I think you're probably going to get a similar kind of blueprint to to that of a Darren Moore side so you know I'm not saying that's the wrong thing survival is everything right now so getting across the line and then next season maybe they can go for that manager is going to give the supporters a little bit little bit more excitement yeah it seems crazy to think they were in the championship playoff final a couple of seasons ago and now you know they are facing being in League One if they don't turn things around. Would you imagine that Neil Warnock could be a choice to, to come back in and steer things in the right direction? Well, I saw a video of him on the golf course, actually, just last <laughs> night, but it was his, his son that, uh, I think he's a pro, his son. He was hitting it beautifully. Um, so I think he's enjoying a little bit of time off. I think, much to my amusement last year, he kind of said he wanted to work five or six weeks a season, and I think he's probably already done that at Huddersfield. So this may be too early for him to get back involved. But, I mean, it would be an incredible U-turn, wouldn't it? I mean, we've seen some strange decisions in football management already this season in the Championship. The whole kind of Birmingham soap opera, I thought, was going to be the uh, the height of it. But the prospect of maybe Warnock coming back in would be incredible. I, c- I can't see it. I mean, it would take a, mm. it would take a very open-minded and, um, yeah, quite... Uh, 
I don't know, I suppose, an, uh, an owner to admit that he was wrong uh, to be able to do that. But I think someone of similar ilk because it is a, it's a relegation battle they're in clearly now. It really is. Reminds me of uh, Darren Ferguson repeatedly sort of going yeah. back to Peterborough. Yeah. I think that's, uh, yeah, that's what the only thing I can compare it to. Let's uh, let's hear what uh, Darren Moore actually said then after the game against QPR, that one or draw that you managed to go to and miss both goals. It's getting over that final line and taking all what it comes. But certainly the boys leave here feeling it was another good performance you know if anybody witnessed the game today it was another solid performance and a performance in the in the right direction we come off the back of a of a performance that we thought we should have won at blackburn and we've come we followed in the same vein here so the boys have to continue and we'll continue to work that and keep that belief going and we take it into next week's game uh, and we'll go on the same um uh, front foot in terms of our approach that was Darren Moore then speaking after that one-all draw with QPR, which was his last game in charge at Huddersfield. Uh, moving on to the crowd trouble that we saw yesterday, there was uh, considerable trouble that stopped the game for 38 minutes in the FA Cup match between West Brom and Wolves. I guess, you know, when you look at that fixture, you can imagine there's going to be extra policing you know, on a massive scale there, and there's obviously going to be some tensions, and it was described as pathetic and ridiculous by some of the fans that were well-behaved at the game. It was the first Black Country derby for 12 years, so, you you know, 12 years of build up to this one you might have seen the footage it's been all over social media and it was live here on TalkSport 2 as well with missiles being thrown and fights breaking out in the crowd and fans on the pitch at one point and the players all sort of running across there because their their family area you know where they get the tickets for friends and family were allocated in that area as well the players then went off the pitch and it was you know resolved after over half an hour and it it was kind of uh, just one of the weirdest things I've seen in a football match really it's kind of the thing you think that you don't see anymore and it all happened after Wolves went 2-0 up it was 78 minutes gone in the match and I think everything was particularly you know well behaved that we saw or at least heard from here on TalkSport 2 until then and then uh, you know it, it just went a, a little bit crazy and I mean I, I can't think of when I've seen fans actually end up being on the pitch which means the game's got to be stopped before I don't know whether that's something you've witnessed before as a player Sam No it's difficult to think I think in the majority of these incidences have kind of been eradicated inside stadiums over the last you know decade or or two so i think that was probably the most shocking element to it to see it taking place uh within the confines of the the, the four stands and of course that that family issue that you spoke of as well made it incredibly shocking and i think once there was that first incident um people took it upon themselves to what seems to cause disorder in different kind of areas of the ground as well so yeah, I mean, it's it's not something that is ever going to be eradicated fully from 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 the game. But I think that you know the amount of cameras at matches, the the banning orders that have been in place has kind of changed the landscape over the last decade or two. I think that's really been been evident. And because of the rivalry, as you said, this was always liable to happen. You would have just hoped that the police would have been able to keep it probably outside the stadium. Um, that wasn't the case terrible to see especially in front of a, a national audience and we'll see what the the sanctions are if if any and um i suppose if it was a fixture that was regularly played you you'd look at the prospect of of closing the doors before the the next match but because it's a bit of a, a rarity with the two teams in a different division that that probably won't be the case but hopefully an isolated incident but as i said i think there's been huge strides made in that in that area and um yeah we should we should hope that that's just a one-off, I suppose. Yeah, it's not never good to see players, you know, going and getting their mm. kids from the stands and, and taking them down the tunnel. And, you know, I think 
few of the players actually got substituted at half time as you can imagine because you know if your family have been involved in the middle of that you're not going to be in the right frame of mind to continue the game Carlos Corbran actually confirmed after that the West Brom manager that none of the players family members were harmed at all not that that's really the point but six mm. people ended up being arrested one suspected of brandishing a corner flag as a weapon and another on suspicion of throwing punches at police officers while they were trying to keep the peace the FA have launched an investigation into the obviously the scenes there and West Brom have condemned the violence as well and it's not just there that we saw a crazy clip really I saw this first of all on social media it's one of those ones where I'm, I'm not sort of too across uh, Port Vale's games but uh, another man's been charged after invading the pitch and kind of came from the, the top of the pitch towards the tunnel didn't he and the referee was just sort of pegging it and I think there were sort of comments under that on social media where people were saying well you know why is a ref running away that's that's a bit cowardly and I'm thinking well you know, you don't know what he's got on him, this this guy. You don't know what his intention is. He might just be, you know, there's that fella, isn't there, that sort of runs onto sporting events and does stupid stuff for his social media. All right, you know, he's harmless, but you don't know that, it, that the person's going to be harmless. It's, you know, he can't, he might just be a prat or he might be actual, you know, something a bit more sinister. So he's been charged with using threatening behaviour with intent to cause fear or violence. Obviously, the club's condemned it as well. It was Craig Hicks, the referee, that managed to get off the side and security intervened and it was all because he'd given uh, Portsmouth a late penalty which uh, ended up being scored a couple of minutes before that which meant that they won the game 1-0 and kept their place at the top of League One and not going too well for uh, Port Vale as well they're one place above the relegation zone one win in six games earlier today CEO of Ref Support UK Martin Cassidy spoke to White and Jordan over on TalkSport and he wasn't shocked to see the events that unfolded at Port Vale this weekend this isn't a surprise to me. The difference is it's, you know, it's Port Vale, it's on telly, you know, everyone's seen it. That generation thinks that that behaviour is acceptable. And I think Craig, Craig is, a, is a really good man. And he's, he, he actually, his full-time job isn't refereeing. He actually works for Surrey FA as a referee development officer. So, you know, you know, these people he's training to get into refereeing are going to be seeing that. And I just think it's not a really good message. And it's not surprising, but it's just as shocking as ever, really, Jim. The talents, the pool talents diminishes, so the whole game suffers. But I think more than ever, even though these horrible things are happening, the way the FA have operated over the last, you know, 18 months, bringing in the body cam pilots, looking at points deduction. You know, let's be honest, they even stadium closure, didn't they, at Berry for abuse. So I think, I think what's happening there is that there's a move to maybe... To bring in these stronger sanctions against clubs, rightly or wrongly, you know, you know, stadium bans might be a massive preventive for this. But I, I, to me, I, I'm, I've got less hope for grassroots referees when we're seeing things like this. That's Martin Cassidy, the CEO of Ref Support UK. We'll get Sam's thoughts on the situation about referees and whether people are going to be put off becoming referees in just a second. You're listening to EFL All Access here on TalkSport 2 in partnership with McDonald's. Order McDelivery on the McDonald's app and get tasty reward points. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. On DAB Plus, online, via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. This is EFL All Access. I'm John Jackson alongside the former Ipswich striker Sam Parkin. We just heard from CEO of Ref Support UK, Martin Cassidy, about those couple of crowd issues we saw there. One player on the pitch at Port Vale, uh, huge disturbances at West Brom, which stopped the game for 38 minutes in total as the players left the pitch. Sam, when you when you think about referees and everything they have to put up with these days, obviously in the Premier League and in Europe we have VAR, so you have that kind of 
I, I would say it, may, it would make you feel a little bit insecure as a referee because if you you know you know everything you do is going to be scrutinised in front of everyone watching at home and everyone in the stadium is going to know when you've made a mistake. It's kind of something that I remember when they sort of brought this into cricket. You know how embarrassing it must be to be an umpire and get something completely wrong and everyone in the stadium there in India where the cricket fans are fanatical then you know you get you get proven wrong 30 seconds later you have that you also have the the threat of violence and actually I've got a friend that has been looking to get back into refereeing he made it I think to the highest level that you can get before you consider whether you want to make it a career when he was in a, you know late teens 18 or 19 and now he's 30 and he's thinking you know he'd like to get back into it but does he really want to these days? Because he was telling me that when he was a referee, back when he was only 18, he got punched in the face by a player. Obviously, the player mm. got banned and things like that. And but, but why should that be something that they have to suffer? As a referee, you know, on a voluntary basis, largely, I think he got something like 50 quid a, a match or something like that. Why would you want to get back into it now when it seems like things are possibly getting worse again? No, it's a, it's a really valid point. And I thought Martin, before the break, made some brilliant points as well. My sentiment, exactly. How are we supposed to improve the the level? How are we supposed to get more young people involved in, in refereeing if this is liable to happen at the, the top of the profession? You know, what should be the, the ambition for a lot of these uh, men and women getting into officiating to referee in the EFL when there's that type of incident that's liable to happen. So I don't know how you make it more attractive with the the toxicity that exists within the game. It was the same conversation we could have five minutes ago about the crowd trouble at the Hawthorns. I think there is a genuine toxicity, wherever it comes from social media, the, the kind of siege mentality uh, between clubs that that exists. And I think at, at Port Vale at the, the weekend, someone's absolutely overstepped the mark. I mean, it's a fine line. I was at Millwall at the weekend where... Everyone was scrutinising the referee's decisions. And again, at QPR yesterday, the home fans felt that the referee got a lot wrong. But, you know, people go to football to to, to vent their frustrations at their own team, at the opposition <laughs> team, at the opposition manager, at the referee. That will never change. But that fine line cannot be crossed. And at Portwell, of course, it was. You know, I've got young children. And I'm, of course, looking forward to them playing football. But I walk through the park on a Saturday morning and I hear the way that Parents are speaking to players, but speaking to referees as well. And I think I've got no idea how I'm going to be able to deal with that because I grew up, you know, my my dad took me to, to football and let me get on with it and never said anything from the touchline. And fortunately, it was a passion of mine and I, I was good and, and, I, and I went on. But um, I don't know the way that they're spoken to, even at grassroots levels, it appalls me absolutely appalls me so I know they've made strides and I think Martin said that before the break in terms of what what they've done to to, to safeguard referees and and clearly that's that's something that needs to be honed in on and improved and also trying to make it more rewarding trying to make it more attractive to young footballers or you know whoever people at, at college who want to be in sport but aren't maybe adept enough to be a professional sportsman that should be a route that people should be funneled down no question in my mind, my my friends, not footballer friends, but my friends at home who love football, who love sport, no question that they'd make good officials. So why aren't more young people doing it? Yeah, it's a big question. I think you can sort of see what they do in, in American sport. And because that comes from the college system, they're drilling in respect when it comes to the referees or umpires in whichever sport you do and if you watch you know the, we got the Super Bowl coming up very very soon in a couple of weeks on TalkSport 2 and the championship games were yesterday and when a call goes you're against you as a player 
you know, they, these are adults who are, you know, obviously in the biggest game of their career, some of them, and they're still respecting the officials because they've been brought up through school, through college, to respect the officials. And if it's a decision that goes against you, OK, just focus on your job and, and just crack on. Whereas in the UK, that doesn't seem to be the thing. I actually spoke to another referee who'd refereed in sort of, a, you know, a fairly decent level of non-league who ended up hiding in the changing rooms until everyone had left because there was a guy just berating him saying, you know, watch when you get in your car today. And it's like, why is that going to make you want to continue doing this when you're obviously doing it because it's a passion of yours? And as you sort of suggest, if you're not maybe the best footballer, you can still be massively involved in the game. But, you know, when you're being threatened on a regular basis and you're having to hide in a changing room when 300 fans are going home just in case, I mean, that's not a very attractive proposition. And yeah, it'd be interesting to see uh, if things can be done about that, because surely there needs to be something done after what we've seen this weekend. Uh, let's move on to Sunderland then. They brushed aside some negativity that Michael Beale's been getting. It was a 3-1 win over Stoke City at the Stadium of Light in the Championship this weekend. Uh, Beale had urged fans to be more positive and get behind the team after a three-game losing streak before that. His preparations were hampered by Alex Pritchard's decision to withdraw his services, declaring his intent to leave just a day before. Some interest from Italy, I believe, there. And, uh, I mean, it, it looks like like, you know, quite a few of their players have probably been uh, sort of looked at in this January transfer window, being one of the better sides there. How have you found his tenure there at Sunderland? Because I saw a lot of people suggesting he said similar things at Rangers when the tough uh, moments came. Yeah, I mean, incredible, tricky first few weeks for him. Incredibly so, really, uh, for, for a new manager. It just feels like, you know, he couldn't say anything right. Obviously, the performances have not been been brilliant, albeit um, he's not been there very long. Obviously, lost the three um, on the bounce. I don't think the, the Derby Day defeat, the manner of it, um, endeared himself to the Sunderland supporters. And and the last week, I mean, it's been, you know, real vitriol being directed towards Mick Bill. And I think he's just probably a, a product of, of circumstances at Sunderland that they had a manager, albeit latterly wasn't producing great results in Tony Mowbray. I think just two wins in his last nine, but still the the the, the moments of um victory and, and and passes of play, good passes of play were really easy on the ice and really nice football. And they just lost their way in the last few weeks under under Mick Bill. That kind of electricity between the forward players hasn't really been there. So to get it back at the weekend, much more consistent performance, a little bit more of that flair that I just spoke of. Not so reliant on Jack Clark, who's been just talismanic for them, you know, throughout Tony Mowbray's tenure and um, and latterly. Mm. A really, really important victory. And it, it sets them up now um, for a game against Middlesbrough at the weekend, still with, of course, a, a huge opportunity of getting in those, those playoffs again. So I think it's probably been... Listen, again, the supporters can say whatever they like. They pay their money and they, they go to the games. But I think probably a little bit of reflection maybe from some of the supporters this week that this is a guy who has been just handed this opportunity and he needs the backing at the moment. It's early days and this could still yet be a successful season for Sunderland. Yeah, he's obviously reiterated the importance of the fans being behind them. If Clark mm. and, and Pritchard do leave the club, you know, Pritchard's made a sort of you know, a, a big statement by withdrawing his services. And I think Aston Villa are, are pretty keen on the winger. And he was, you know, pretty decent in the, the playoff run last year. And I think 
I always see these playoff teams, and we've already spoken about Huddersfield as well. I was there with TalkSport 2 for the, the playoff at the uh, Stadium of Light last year, and I think whenever a team that is expected or or at least has a, a sort of positive run and it feels like they've got a story, it feels like they're you know making their way back to the Premier League, they always seem to suffer the next season. And I don't know if that's just a mentality thing or, or whatever, and you know things change with the manager and everything. But if those two players were to depart, do you think this playoff run would be hugely hit, or do you, do you have faith in that squad I think they'd be all right without Pritchard I think he's been a bit of a bit part player this season albeit been a really good player for Sunderland since he joined kind of regalvanized his his, his career really I, I would say in the in the northeast I mean I, I thought they'd struggle this year without Ross Stewart I know he's been been injured for the entirety but I thought you know to, to lose him to Southampton was a huge body blow I didn't think they'd be able to replicate what they did last season in making the playoffs so I think it's been an incredible achievement, you know, under Tony Mowbray, again, without um, large source of goals in his his front players, they have to play a slightly different way, invariably. Um, Mason Burstow came into the side at the weekend on loan from Chelsea and got his first goal. So things are maybe looking up in in that regard, but absolutely with the continuing absence of, of Patrick Roberts, or certainly he's not been... Uh, as big an influence this season, they have to keep hold of Jack Clark. He's been you know, obviously so fruitful for them this year and um, such a, a great assister, scorer of goals. They keep him. They can add one or two in this window. We know you just cannot, you cannot rule anyone out at the moment. It's it's probably, you know, down to around about 11th, 12th, that playoff race. Um, so it's going to be incredibly exciting again. And you look what Luton and, and Coventry and Sunderland last year achieved. Um, anything is possible. So they're definitely still in the running. Yeah, Jack Clark, 13 goals and three assists this season with Dan Neal and Joe Bellingham both with four. So, you know, he's uh, he's been the mm. source of most of their attacking success. Uh, we'll move on from the Championship and we'll take a look at uh, League One in just a second. You're listening to EFL All Access here on TalkSport 2 in partnership with McDonald's. Order McDelivery on the McDonald's app and get some tasty reward points. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. On DAB Plus, online, via the TalkSport app, and on your smart speaker. EFL All Access, on TalkSport 2. You're listening to EFL All Access. I'm John Jackson alongside former Ipswich Town striker Sam Parkinson. Breaking news that's come to us from our chief football correspondent Alex Crook during this show. It's that Bournemouth winger David Brooks is joining Southampton on loan. That's what we understand. Uh, Russell Martin has been very interested in getting the Welsh international through the doors there to help with their push. Uh, what do you make of that one, Sam? It, you know, obviously David Brooks had a, a sort of extended period away while he was uh, dealing with his health. He's come back. I've seen him make a few substitute points. For, for Bournemouth and it, I guess it makes sense that you know he can drop down to the Championship and get a bit more game time and get things back on track for his career after something that obviously no one really wants any of their friends, family or, or players for their team to go through Yeah, incredible story um, he, he's come back and had sp- sporadic uh, appearances at, at Bournemouth but he's a he's a quality player, I'm not, I'm not sure Russell Martin needs any more wire players so <laughs> I'm not sure where he's going to fit in but you can never have too much quality. And as Russell Martin showed at the weekend, um, he's going to have to rotate. You know, got that replay coming up in the in the FA Cup. So he's going to need some some bodies for that game. And and David Brooks would enhance any squad in the in the championship. So ominous for everyone else, I would say, considering the the run that they're on, the confidence that they're playing with, and adding yet more quality. It just shows you again the kind of disparity between the clubs that come down and the ones trying to fight their way out of the championship. 
Yeah, let's uh, move on to League One then. Obviously, you can read more about that story. That's not confirmed. That's just what TalkSport understands, but you better read more uh, as and when that gets confirmed at TalkSport.com. Looking at League One then, Derby 2, Cheltenham Town 1. It was a volley from James Collins. Decent goal there, gave them the victory. Cheltenham were the better side for most of that game, uh, but a Max Bird free kick and Collins' 18th goal of the season earned Derby the points. They're fourth in the table, three points off the leaders, Portsmouth, uh, who... uh, have looked quite impressive this season. They've got Bolton and Peterborough, who we've mentioned already in the show, in between them there. For Derby County, you know, to be down in League One as a Nottingham Forest fan, obviously, you know, we played them consistently for a decade or so in the Championship and it felt like a good level for both sides. Forrester may be, you know, I'll be I'll be diplomatic and say Forrester definitely deserves to be in the Premier League, but looking a little bit shaky there. Whereas Derby are one of those teams that should be in theory too good to be in League One and, and should be a bit higher. Is this the year they're going to get back into the Championship or could they face a little bit of pressure given the quality of other teams around that have been down there a bit longer? Well, they've been on a, a brilliant run until recently. Um, there, there'll be big pressure on on the squad to do it this year, but it's a vastly experienced squad, far and away the the, the highest uh, average starting uh, lineup in ter- terms of age. And and Paul Warren will, will know that you know he's got to get the job done really this season. So um, at the moment, it's got the makings of an incredibly exciting end to the season in League One. I always thought it was the most open league going into this season, and and nothing can dissuade me uh, away from that. I think. Mm. Portsmouth have done brilliantly. They've come back into form in the last couple of weeks with a couple of um, narrow away victories. I always felt Bolton and, and Derby would be there, but then you've got obviously the exciting youthfulness of of Peterborough and I suppose Barnsley under Neil Collins, albeit they they made the playoff final last season. I think, again, this is a little bit of a surprise, you know, rookie manager in terms of this country, uh, first gig in the in the EFL and and no real let up from last season. So I probably see it two from five, but which two? I wouldn't be able to give you an answer at the moment. I think it's going to be incredibly exciting. Yeah, it's going to be good to keep an eye on that one. It's worth noting as well that Bolton do have a couple of games in hand over Portsmouth as well. So a two-point two gap there. So if they can make those games in hand count, then mm. uh, then Bolton will be, uh, you know, in the box seat there. Let's hear then from James Collins, scored that uh, impressive volley in that 2-1 win for Derby County over the weekend. And he spoke with Talk Sports' Ian Abrahams after the game. There seems to be massive pressure on Derby in this league to get promoted because of the size of club. I guess the same could be said of Portsmouth and, and Bolton as well. Is that telling every single week now between now and the end of the season? Well, it is, mate. We, we know there's high expectations from, from the fans, from uh, the, the people in the league. Like I think everyone would see us as the biggest team in the league uh, with the stadium, the, the, the history of the club. Uh, but we, we've got a we've got a rise to that. We've we've got a um, just put that to the back of our minds, and we know we know we're in uh, we're getting looked at every every game we play, and uh, we just got to try and put that to one side and just put perform because um, result, it's a results business, and uh, if we're getting the results, then uh, we'll, we'll be fine. So it doesn't matter. The- for the rest of the season how you play as long as you win well listen not not the the best team in the league not always goes up that, that plays the best football so um, if we're not playing to our to our best and we're still getting the points then eventually when we do uh, play our best we'll we'll start steamrolling teams and, and uh, but listen the, la- the last week's not been not been the greatest of football 
um, but it, it's, it's winter football it's the time of year the pitches are not great teams um, need points because they're either at the bottom or they're, they're close to the top so every game is going to be really really tough and uh, we've just got to show character and, uh, and, and win no matter what and how much pressure on you is pretty much the only fit striker at the club uh, probably a little bit but I don't, I don't really see that moves to be fair um, I'm not on social media I'm not don't never try and let things affect me and so what people are saying I'm just uh, I'm just trying to get my head down score as many goals as I can for this club um, we, we obviously lost uh, Ditsy last year who, who scored um, 20 plus goals so I'm, uh, I'm hoping that um, this year that can be that can be me James Collins there speaking with Talk Sports Ian Abrahams after Derby's 2-1 win over Cheltenham Town. When it comes to Paul Warren, Sam, do you think that if they don't go up this season, you know, the expectation is too much for, for a manager to, to fail and, and they would look for a change? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what the conversations would be, you know, behind closed doors with the, with the hierarchy. But I think, you know, given that they dispensed of, of Liam Rossinia, you know, way back when now, it feels now to go with Paul Warren, who... He's tried and tested and is so experienced and so good at getting teams promoted from, from this level. We, we know that from his Rotherham teams. We know the way he goes about it. And having had the, the bedding-in period last season and now a whole campaign to attack it, he'll, he'd be bitterly disappointed, I'm sure, if they, they don't make it this year. And, um, yeah, it was interesting hearing James Collins talk there. You know, a player that I think got written off a few years ago, many years ago, when he was at Luton Town, that he couldn't maybe transfer his form from from league two into league one and to see him being the talisman really at derby in terms of goal scoring this year i think well aided by mendes lang who's having a good season as well um i feel they've been a little bit short maybe in that department so the goals of collins the creativity and the drive of mendes lang continue to be you know really important for them and um i think because they're quite reliant on those two guys in particular they just are prone to these little slip-ups and there's been kind of high-profile defeats early part of the season at Shrewsbury and, and Stevenage, I recall, Reading the other day. So I don't know why they've got that in their, that, their makeup. Maybe it just isn't enough, you know, consistent goal makers and goal scorers in the, in the squad right now, which um, they may look at in Derby or maybe Paul Warren would just think, you know, if they can get through this little spell... Um, the pitches get better. It was nice hearing him refer to that as well. That was Paul Tisdale, my old manager, used to talk about winter football. So nice to hear that getting a run out again. But Paul Warren will be, I'm sure, confident because he's done those kind of run-ins the last month or two months of the season when he knows how many points he's got to accumulate to get over the line. So they're absolutely, you know, as favourites as, uh, as much as the other sides up there. I couldn't call it. Yeah, it feels like when I was a kid playing football, the pitches were considerably worse than they are now when I was going to games. But I mean, maybe it's just because you're a kid and it just looks worse. I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, let's look at Blackpool then, because they played uh, against a managerless Charlton Athletic. It was 1-1 in the end. It was Marvin Ekpeteta's goal, uh, own goal, sorry, uh, that uh, earned them that draw. Blackpool going for the playoffs. Charlton down in uh, 18th place there. Curtis Fleming was in interim charge, obviously, after Michael Appleton got sacked last week. And they were looking for their first win since November. And, you know, things, when you go the whole Christmas winter period without winning, it's never going to be a good time at a club. Uh, Appleton had only been there for four and a half months before that, after he succeeded Dean Holden in September. He won eight and lost nine of his 28 games in charge. But, uh, yeah, that last win was a victory over Cheltenham on the 28th of November. 
what's kind of going wrong at, at Charlton? Because it's, it is such a big club. We kind of remember the heights of when they were in the top flight back in the day. And certainly a team I've been lucky enough to go and see games at. And it's such a huge family club, actually. It's a really nice experience to go and watch it as a neutral fan. But it just seems that things just can't click for them in, in terms of making progress. It feels like they're, they're kind of stuck. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a head scratcher. It's a bit similar, not not in terms of the finances and, and where they've been, but quite similar to the malaise at Stoke over the last few years. And various managers have tried at Charlton. I think they have kind of accumulated a decent group of players, albeit a big squad and probably an imbalanced squad. You only have to look at the goals for and goals against column to see where their problems lie. And that's defending I think only two teams have conceded more in the in the division so um, you're always liable to be treated to goals at the valley but quite often they're in their own net so that's something they need to clearly look at with the appointment of the new manager but I just think the biggest thing John is just the the, the alignment between the players the manager and and of course the, the hierarchy and when there's been so many changes at boardroom level and also managerially it's it's difficult to get that chemistry and that and that cohesion and it continues to to hinder them. I, I believe the best thing they could do is is get their house in order, stick with a manager, clearly mould that squad, decide what they want to be, you know, what type of football they want to play. Do they want to continue to um, produce their own players and and really focus on that academy academy and drip feeding them in or do they want to do what they've done, I think, in some of the windows, which has gone and cherry pick some of the better players from the... Um, from the uh, League One and and League Two rivals. So I think it's just a little bit of a mess right now. Obviously intrigued to see which way they they go, but, um, you know, it's not going to be a, a season where they're looking up. It's more likely that they're going to be, you know, looking over their shoulder and, and fretting that they get enough points before spring to have a comfortable end to the season. Yeah, that's the thing with the EFL, isn't it? You can be mid-table and thinking, OK, well, things aren't going our way, but you can very quickly find yourselves in trouble. Uh, so Charlton down in 18th place after that one or draw against Blackpool. Blackpool uh, looking to uh, get those playoff places, uh, get back into the playoff places. They're currently in eighth place there. And you mentioned League Two, Sam, coming up next here on EFL All Access We'll take a look at League Two here on TalkSport 2. On DAB Plus, online, via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. UFL All Access on TalkSport 2. This is EFL All Access. I'm John Jackson alongside former EFL striker Sam Parkin. Let's take a look at League Two then. Forest Green have been getting quite a few headlines recently, probably a lot more than they would do normally if they changed manager. Uh, they've appointed Steve Cottrell as their boss, former Nottingham Forest boss. I know him well from a decade ago or so. Uh, he's replaced Troy Deeney. Obviously, he was sacked on the 18th of January after six games in charge. A lot went down there with uh, Troy Deeney. I think we probably discussed it more than enough there. So they'll be looking to make strides and go forward. Uh, Cottrell takes over, though, with them bottom of League Two, bottom of the EFL completely, facing a real battle to preserve their English Football League status. They've not won in their past 12 league games. They are six points from safety now. Of course, Cottrell's got a wealth of experience across different levels of the EFL. He most recently managed Shrewsbury Town for a couple of years, two and a half years, leaving in June last year. But, and this is probably the problem... He's their sixth manager at Forest Green since June 2022. There was Rob Edwards, Ian Birchnell, Duncan Ferguson, David Horseman, and of course, Troy Deeney as well, with an interim manager thrown in for good luck. His first game as Forest Green manager 
didn't end the way he would have wanted to. They lost 1-0 at home to Accrington this weekend, which means they are rooted to the bottom and they're winless since October. Is that enough negativity for you, Sam, around Forest Green? Because I've tried to find some positivity and other than maybe a new manager bounce, it, it's it pretty much bleak for them, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, a different experience for him and obviously different level to you know where he's managed previously, albeit he had obviously great success with their near neighbours, uh, Cheltenham many, many years ago, where I'm sure he um, executed a few last ditch escapes. I mean, this would be up there with his greatest achievements. I'm sure if he could keep them in the, in a division, what nine points adrift with, with games running out um, an inability to win home games and inability to score. Really they're averaging less than a, a goal in a, a game. So yeah, they almost need snookers all, already. So I was interested to see his lineup at the weekend and obviously um, Fankerty Darbo, who was kind of making headlines, not, none for his own doing really, was it um, last week or two, uh, deployed in the front line at the weekend. Another loanee, Dom Thompson, I think on, on loan from Blackpool. So played on the left-hand side kind of um, uh, alongside Matty Stevens. So a different look front line, um, trying to, obviously arrest that that problem they've got scoring goals but it was the the same result really so I'm sure he's going to be working incredibly hard to try and turn this around but you kind of summed it up with your, your question the amount of managers that there's been the amount of players that have been signed under different regimes it's just a a bit of a mess right now so it may take unfortunately relegation to to probably solve a few issues there and and come back and I'm sure they'll be stronger because they've got you know, a lot going for them and they got a lot right over previous seasons at, at Forest Green Rovers. It's just kind of gone by the wayside in the last year, which is which is sad, really. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that we've, we've seen Notts County do, drop down and uh, come back up and, and get a few things in order and uh, be a bit stronger there. When it comes to the top of the table, Stockport County are, are looking absolutely on fire at the moment. Their latest victory uh, came across at Doncaster Rovers, a 5-1 win there. Paddy Madden got two, Connor Evans and Tanto Ola. I can never get his name right. Tanto Ola Ofi uh, found the net as well. Owen Bailey got an own goal as the Hatters ran riot, it says here. Uh, they could have easily won by more, actually, looking at some of the stats there. And do you think anyone can actually stop them at the moment? Because they have looked so impressive. I guess, you know, we're looking at Ryan Reynolds and, and his boys at Wrexham as a potential challenger with some of the money they've been outlaying on uh, sort of players that have probably dropped down a bit further than you would ever imagine them to. Yeah, I would never say never. There's an opportunity, you know, always for one of those teams to put a run together, whether they're capable of doing what, I mean, what Stockport have already done this season, which is to win 12 straight matches. I, I probably doubt. I think, you know, speaking to coaches and players in the, the division last season, and you know, a lot of a lot of them wanted Stockport out of the way. And they, they unfortunately for them, lost in the, in the playoffs, obviously, last season where they were missing a few players. So having kept the majority of that squad together and added some real top quality for the division, this is this is no surprise to me. It has been a little bit surprising that there's been a little bit of a drop-off. I think just four wins in the, in the last 10, but back-to-back -back wins and resounding ones at that suggest to me that that's probably them off into the distance now. So I think the battle for second and third going to be really interesting. And, you know, the likes of Notts County, as you mentioned, MK Don's going really well under Mike Williamson and a huge win for AFC Wimbledon against Mansfield last time out. That's kind of your your playoff picture, but some some big clubs up there and some, some really talented sides. So again, I think going to be fascinatingly interesting, but 
if you're asking me about Stockport, I think <laughs> they're near on promoted already. Yeah, very quickly, we we did mention Notts County as, as being involved yeah. in that as well. They got a one-all draw at home to Barrow, and Hugh actually spoke with Stuart Maynard last week on this show, and it feels like a big step up from him managing the National League to then managing a you know promotion-chasing team in League Two with a massive stadium and fans that certainly you know demand a little bit better than they've seen recently. How do you think he's going to get on at Notts County? Yeah, we have, we share a couple of mutual friends actually. So um, really pleased for him to get this this opportunity, and he'll be delighted to get that first point uh, on the board. Um, disappointed probably not to to win the game, but Barrow a, a very good defensively, really well coached side, and um, conceding goals that's Notts County's problem. So I'm sure Stuart Maynard's focus will be on just shoring them up defensively because it doesn't kind of marry up with what they do going the other way. It's difficult to get both sides of the game right, but. If he can do that, continue to be so easy on the eye, so many creative sparks in his side, then that will make the difference and definitely get them into that that playoff picture. But no, I think really pleasing to see a manager who's done some outstanding work on a tiny budget at Wildstone get the opportunity to step up and be part of what is a brilliant club in the EFL. Absolutely indeed. Uh, Sam, thank you very much for joining me for EFL All Access. And of course, you can listen to us every Monday from 6pm here on TalkSport 2. If you miss any of our shows, you can listen back on the TalkSport app. And we are also available as a podcast. You can download that from your go-to podcast provider. Just search EFL All Access in there and uh, you'll get that straight onto your device as well. Hit subscribe, like, leave us a review and everything and it will help that podcast become stronger and you'll get more and more out of it as well. 